0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message
1: Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the goodness that you bring, your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you so much, God, that you challenge us and you bring us truth, and and Lord, we are so appreciative that we get to do that together. Lord, wherever we are this morning, whether this week has been full of joy and celebration or challenge and hardship, God, you meet us right here, right now, together in this room, and God, you minister to us. You offer us what it is that you have for us each and every week And so, God, would we be ready to receive from you? Teach us. Show us who you are. Show us who we are in light of you. And, God, would we come surrendered to you, ready to hear from you? So thank you, Father, each and every week that you meet us here. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are actually today concluding our series in the letter to the Colossians, and uh, we've been journeying through this book for nine weeks. We've been trying to explore all the different facets, particularly of of this key idea of being rooted in Christ. That's kind of the the idea, the theme that we're going after, And, and what Paul is really trying to drive after. It's this idea of being rooted in Christ. And today we're going to get to the conclusion. Now, if you've read like letters in the Bible a lot and you, you kind of know like, okay, Paul or whoever the author is often will say like, okay, greet so-and-so and I send greetings from this person and, and just all this kind of random stuff. And I wonder if you kind of like, I don't know what that means, and just kind of moving on. Well, today we're actually going to camp on the last section in Paul's letter to the Colossians where he does a lot of that. And and I hope that you're going to see there's actually value in some of these sections of the Bible. Oftentimes, again, we kind of run by it, like genealogies or these long, like we're just like, I don't know how to read that. And and these sections are, are one of those things. But I actually hope that we're going to see that Paul is actually bringing to conclusion all that he's been saying about being rooted in Christ. And we're going to see there are three things that when we are rooted in Christ, That is produced. These three things grow out of being rooted in Jesus. And so I hope today that you're going to see, like, oh, okay, here's some of the value that Paul, that the scriptures can bring in some of these um, maybe surprising sections. So, what I want to do is I want us to turn to the last chapter in Colossians, chapter. Colossians chapter 4. And if you're kind of getting used to your Bible, again, here's where it is in mine. It's in the back portion there. And this is one of those quick letters that you can kind of flip through very fast. But the book of Colossians, we to be looking at chapter 4, particularly verses 2 through 18. So 2 through 18. And so what we're going to see are these three things that Paul... Says that we are going to be, when we're rooted in Christ, we're going to be producing. So I want to read through the whole section, and then we're going to kind of pick apart some different pieces. All right, so beginning at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Areopolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All right. So this is one of those sections you're like, okay, there's a lot of people that I don't know anything about. Like, what is going on here? Now, the first couple of things will probably be pretty self-evident, but we're going to see that there are three elements that are produced when we're rooted in Christ. So I want to talk about the first one. So being rooted in Christ produces first prayer. Verse 2, that's how it started out, like Paul kind of getting into these final greetings and and final instructions. What does he say? Well, he talks about prayer. So the first thing, devote yourselves to prayer. He's calling us to be devoted, to remain steadfast and firmly committed to prayer. Now, what is prayer? Prayer is is communing or conversing with God, right? Right? We, we sit down and we gauge with him and, and we, we commune with him, we communicate with God. And, and Paul's saying, devote yourselves to that. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, when when we do that, when we are praying, we are experiencing our relationship with Jesus, aren't we? In that practice of prayer, we, we come with him and we we connect and, and we're we're experiencing the relationship that we have with Christ. So here's like, in, in thinking about these three things, like, why does Paul, first of all, start talking about prayer and, and the other things that we're going to get to? Well, I want to begin to explain why. And to do that, I want to jump to Matthew chapter 22. So in Matthew 22, we got the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're engaging with Jesus, and it's getting pretty tense. So one of them comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Here's Jesus' reply. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Notice, he only is like, what's the greatest commandment? Not commandments. But Jesus adds two, right? He answers with two. What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, for Jesus, it all came down to this idea. Love. Love God. Love one another. Like, if you want to think about what this whole thing's about, what am I all about? What's the kingdom of God all about? It's all about loving God and loving others. And those two things are intimately connected. So if we come back to prayer, what what Jesus is, is pointing to is to say everything ties to loving God and loving others. Paul is now saying Okay, if that's true, then we should be devoted to prayer because this, this is how we experience our relationship with God. This is how, one of the primary ways that we love God. If we're going to be loving him, devoted to him, we're going to be devoted to prayer. And that's what Paul wants us to see. Like experiencing our relationship with Jesus means we're going to be praying. And so he calls us right here, devote yourselves to prayer. But then he continues on. What does he say in the rest of the verse, it's being watchful and thankful. Being watchful and thankful. The, these words and this construction is actually an echo to the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is where Jesus, he's about ready to go to the cross. He's going to die soon. And so he goes to the garden at night, brings his disciples with him, and he's praying. And do you remember kind of what he does? He grabs um, Peter, James, and John and says, hey, you you three, come with me a little further away. And he, he says, hey, stay here and pray. Be watchful and pray while I go on. See, right here, Jesus is connecting these two ideas of being watchful And praying. So, what is he kind of talking about here? Like, Paul is leveraging this to say, like, okay, being watchful and prayer, like, this means we need to be alert to something. Well, what is Jesus referring to in the garden? Be watchful, pray for me. Be watchful, be on guard, guard me as I'm praying. Be praying for me. Paul understands this idea. That's why he's connecting the dots here, but he does it also in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, where he says these words, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, be watchful, and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. What Paul wants us to see is that prayer, when we're devoted to it, we're communing with God, but then we're praying for one another. And that's what he calls us to do here. Be watchful and thankful. Be praying for one another. And he makes that explicit by what he says next. So continue on in verse three. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Not only are we just praying about anything, but like we're praying for something specific. We're praying for other people. And Paul says, Pray for me, pray for us, as we want to share God's message with other people. So, back to the, the why why do we pray? Because we love God and we love people. And what better way to love people than to pray for them and pray that they receive the good news of the gospel? So, hence, Paul says, Pray that God may open a door for our message. And then he goes on, so that we may proclaim clearly the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. See, here, Paul, he's just tying this all back together, like pray for other people and pray for the message to go forward. So he's calling us to devote ourselves to prayer. Being rooted in Christ produces prayer in our lives. So, I want to pause on that and ask, how's your prayer life? How is this fruit going for you in your life right now? It's one of those things that I think, you know, sometimes we can struggle with. Because it feels like, okay, well, I'm supposed to pray. So, God, can you take care of this or give me this? And, And sometimes we don't always know, like, is he there? Is he listening? Sometimes does it, does it feel like prayer works? And so sometimes this practice can be one of those things where we're just like, I don't know. And for some of us, it is, it is one of the, the cornerstones to our faith. I mean, there's some of you in this church who are praying people like it, it is a spiritual gift for you and, and it has marked your faith significantly. Like, that's great. Like, we applaud that and, and encourage that. But wherever you are how would you evaluate it right now? On a scale of one to 10, what would you give yourself? Is is prayer a fruit of you being rooted in Christ? Or is it a bit absent? I think what Paul would encourage us to say, and what I want to encourage you as your pastor, wherever you are, go one more step. Take one more step forward. Up the ante just a little bit more. Maybe you don't pray at all, like, great, take just five minutes, right as you're eating breakfast in the morning, or as you're getting into your car to go to work, like, just take just a couple minutes, and maybe that's even too much, like, 30 seconds, and just, Lord, I acknowledge you right now. You're with me. Help me remember that you're with me all throughout the day. Like, that prayer might be a great starting place. Or, or maybe you, you want to weave prayer into your life more completely. I'm, I'm think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, pray continually or pray without ceasing. I found that practice of praying throughout the day, not just in one, one chunk in, at a particular moment in the day, but like just along the way, brief little prayers. Like, the Lord is walking with me throughout all of life. That is just so encouraging. It reminds me to keep perspective It helps me stay focused on what the Lord wants me to to focus on. So wherever you are, what's one step that you can take towards a deeper prayer life? What can you do right now just to add a little bit more of devotion to prayer? Evaluate that. Kind of name that. Identify it. and, And say, all right, Lord, help me do this. Let's build this in. Set aside a regular time and maybe pray throughout the day, like figure out where that is for you. So that's the first one. The first fruit or the first thing that is produced is prayer. But notice, what did Paul talk about, specific about, Where to pray about? It wasn't just like, I'll pray about anything. Like he has specific things, right? Well, what, what was that and why did he do that? I want to remind you real quick of where we just came from. So the, the two greatest commandments, are the, what, is, what does Jesus say it all ties to is love, right? Love God, and then what? The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This, all of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So if we're praying from this place where we're loving God and loving others, what's the kind of thing that we should be doing or praying about or, or what should it be leading us to? Well, let's look at verse 5. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Be wise. This, this phrase right here, be wise, actually in the Greek, it literally means walk in wisdom. And if you've been with us, we've, we've talked about how that walking image is consistent in Colossians. Paul's saying, like, walk this out. Like, carry on your life. Work out your life in such a way. What he's saying here is live in wisdom. And he's been contrasting wisdom, right? There's the wisdom of the world and then there's God's wisdom. Walk in God's wisdom, which ultimately is captured in Christ Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. We see God's wisdom in him embodied. And so walk in that way. And he says walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And then he goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity. Literally, the Greek is buy up the time. It's an idiom that I think the NIV captures perfectly. Like, whenever there's opportunity, take take advantage. Make the most of it. And what is he talking about? He is talking about proclamation. That's the second fruit. Being rooted in Christ produces proclamation. We're proclaiming Jesus Now, when you think of that word, you're probably thinking, like, okay, I need to be able to share the gospel. Notice how did Paul start here? Walk in wisdom. Live in wisdom. The way you carry your life is proclamation of something. What are you proclaiming? When when you look at your own life and evaluate, it's like, what's the message that people read on my life, the way that I behave, the way that I carry myself? Do they see Christ? Am I proclaiming him by what I do? What Paul is talking about is like, be wise when you walk with outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. See that as a moment to share the love of Jesus. Again, when we love God, we're going to love others. And here is the way we can love other people. By showing them Jesus. By acting like Jesus with them. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. He's telling us the way we act should be proclamation. But he doesn't stop there, does he? So verse 6. Let your conversation, your conversation, the words that you speak, always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, what Paul is pointing to here is we, we do share Christ. We proclaim Christ with our lives and our words. What we say matters. And so what he's talking about here is, you know gives us this image always full of grace. We've been touched by the grace of God. It has transformed us. It has come over our lives. We are to share that in the way that we talk. Can we speak graciously? Will our speech, the way that we communicate, both in just talking about everyday things and how we talk about Christ, be full of grace? But notice he adds this, seasoned with salt. So salt, it's a seasoning, right? Back then, it, was act, it would act as a preservative. Like they would put that on things to help it last longer so it wouldn't spoil, but it was also adding flavor. And so our words are to be the same kind of thing, Right? They're to be seasoned with salt. They're to be flavorful and and, ooh, this tastes good. I want more like attractive and pulling people in. When people hear us, do our words invite them in? Jesus himself even used this image. Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus starts out his message with the Beatitudes and proclaiming all these things. And then he says this: you are the salt of the earth. You are salt. You're preservative. You're to add flavor. When people taste what you have to say, they should be stepping forward, going deeper in. But a salt, if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown away and trampled underfoot. We're to be salt. We're to be um, communicating in a way that says, like, here, come learn more, and, and you'll want to hear this. We're to proclaim in a particular way. We're to proclaim Jesus in the gospel. We're to share with, him the, with them his goodness. All in that we say is to proclaim. So let me ask you this question. How are you living out proclamation right now? If this is to be one of the second elements, this kind of fruit bearing sort of thing when we're rooted in Christ, how's proclamation for you? what you say, how you communicate your conversations, but how you live. Do you proclaim Christ in everything that you do and say? How would you rate yourself here? I think sometimes we think about like proclamation, like proclaiming, oh, that's only for those who are good at it or happens on special occasions or really it's the guy in the street corner like, oh, that Proclamation? Proclamation is so much more than that, isn't it? How we carry ourselves, the way that we speak, this is proclamation. So how is it for you? Would you say that this is present or is this something that needs to grow some more? See what Paul has to say. Make the most of every opportunity. I think sometimes we get a little nervous if it's like I might say the wrong thing. I might might not know how to respond to a question. I think Paul is just calling us to be a bit bold here. Step out and be a little uncomfortable and realize, here's I think good news, it's not in your hands. Like you can say all of the right things and it still doesn't get there. I mean, Jesus himself, he came and he announced the kingdom and he proclaimed and not everybody followed. Followed. I mean, the Pharisees, they were resistant antagonists to the point where they killed him. We're not going to be successful by our strategies or our methods. Our job is merely to offer, to extend the invitation by what we do, how we carry ourselves, see, here's Jesus and me, and by what we say. So allow the boldness, the courage to come up and proclaim who is it that might be in your life right now that you could say, you know what? There might be opportunity here. Start praying about it. I mean, what does Paul say? Like, pray for us as we're sharing the gospel. Pray that there be open doors that we can proclaim it clearly. Like, pray into that. So if you're, if you're like, man, I, I don't even know where to start, start there. Pray. Pray for opportunity. Pray for an open door. Pray for someone to come across your path that might be ready to hear or see something in you. How's proclamation? Ante up on that as well. Okay, so so far we've seen two, right? Being rooted in Christ produces prayer. And, and that kind of prayer that Paul is advocating for is the prayer that, that leads to proclamation. And that's the second thing. Well, if proclamation is happening if prayer is happening, then there's a natural progression towards the third element. And it's captured in what comes next. And so here's what I want to say. Being rooted in Christ produces a people. It produces a people. Over and over again, Paul is referencing people in the remainder of the letter, right? He's talking about individuals who are sending their greetings, and he's talking about all this. Well, I want to ask, like, okay, if this is producing a people. What are we talking about here, and what kind of people? Well, let's look at just a few quick incidents here of, of what this is. So, verse 11. Find my place here. Okay. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co workers for the kingdom of God. So, right here, he's named three people real fast that these guys, these are, these are the Jews who are in my company notice the implication. There are other names that he highlights. They're not Jews. They're Gentiles. So this is a people made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now, if you know a little history, like Jews and Gentiles, there was a lot of animosity. Like Jews weren't allowed to associate with Gentiles. Like that was just a no-no thing. Like this just doesn't happen. And yet here we are in Paul's letter talking about Jews and Gentiles together. Hold that thought. The next one, verse 15. Give, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. He's named a bunch of men, and here he refers to the brothers and sisters and refers to a woman who has a church in her house. This people is made up of men and women. And again, in this society, you know, a few thousand years ago, like, there was strong hierarchy. Women were very much second class. Men had power. Men received inheritance. Like, it, it all went through the male line. But here, Paul is coming in and saying, it's men and women. And even a woman has a church in her house. This kind of people is for Jews and Gentiles. It's for men and women. Notice the next one here. Look down at verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, if you know the scriptures, you probably know a bit of this story, but let me refresh. Mark and Barnabas were two key figures for Paul. So when Paul started his ministry, he got connected with Barnabas, and they learned together, and they began to do ministry alongside one another. And eventually, Mark came along with them, He came to faith and started to to serve alongside them. Well, then a moment happened where something happened with Mark. He abandoned them or went his own way, and and that caused a rift between Mark and Paul. So much so that eventually when Paul and Barnabas were trying to decide where they were going to go next, eventually, like, let's go here, and Barnabas is like, hey, let's take Mark with us, and Paul's like, no, we're not taking him. And they had a fight and a conflict, and they ended up going their separate ways, These guys were in conflict with one another. I mean, longtime servants together, like co-workers, and here they are at a fight and a rift. But notice, what does Paul say here? He references Mark. He says, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Is that something that somebody would say to someone they're in conflict with? Like, no, 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 you can't trust Mark. Like, don't, don't welcome him. Like, no, it's the opposite. We see here and in another place, particularly in one of the letters to Timothy, that Paul references Mark. And in Timothy, he says, like, Mark sends his greetings and he's on his way. And he has been helpful to me. They've repaired their rift. Something has now shifted in the relationship so much so that Paul has now changed his tone about Mark. So this community is for Jews and Gentiles, people who are sworn enemies against one another, for men and women. These different statuses now being leveled out and for people in conflict. This is the community that God is building. It's a people who are diverse, coming from all different places and all different backgrounds and he is now bringing them together. I want to highlight one more and go just a little bit deeper. Look at verse 9, if you would, with me. He, this is referring to Tychicus, and Tychicus is the first person mentioned here. So Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Does this name ring a bell at all? There's a letter that's only a page long in your Bibles right before the book of Hebrews. It's called Philemon. Philemon lived in Colossae. He was a slave owner. He had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away. He deserted Philemon. And we don't know the exact timeline of when all this happened and and what exactly took place. But we know eventually that Onesimus came in contact with Paul and became a Christian. He began following Jesus. And Onesimus would serve alongside Paul. And here, here he is showing up again, as a letter carrier alongside Tychicus. Notice, how does Paul describe him? Our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. See, masters and slaves had that disparity between them, right? Slaves didn't have as much power, didn't have as much status, but here Paul says, this slave, he's your brother, and he is one of you. In that letter to Philemon, Paul's writing to this individual in Colossae. And these two letters might have been coming together right now. But in it, he says, here, Onesimus has been helpful to me. I am sending him back to you. Receive him as you would receive me. He is now your brother, not your slave. And he comes all the way to the point of like saying, Philemon, you should let him go. Free him. So notice, this community is made of slaves and masters. And the playing field has been leveled. He is one of you. That's Onesimus' identity. He's no longer a slave. He doesn't fit down here where you can just oppress him. Like, no, he's your brother. He's one of you. Equal worth and value brought to the table together with you. The kind of people that Jesus produces is one of diversity. A variety of backgrounds coming together as one people. Paul summarizes this in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. He says these words in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This people is made up of all kinds who come together and are made one, equal brothers and sisters. And John, in the book of Revelation, he's having this picture of heaven and seeing what this is going to all look like when Jesus comes back. And so in chapter 7, verse 9, he writes this picture that he sees. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, all of them standing before the throne And before the Lamb. This people that Jesus forms is not some sort of monolithic, look like the same kind of thing. It is a diverse set of people from all different backgrounds, all different places, coming together by their bonds in Christ. This, this is the people that Christ is building. So, let me ask you this question. Oh, sorry. Here, I want to highlight one other quick thing. Notice that in this text, we've got this this picture of the community. What are they doing? They're praying for one another. They're contending and wrestling for one another. They're working for each other. And so not only is this people a collection of different kinds of individuals, but they are people who serve and care for one another. This is what leads them to be like Jews and Gentiles who did not associate with one another. What do they do? They care for one another. Why? Because it's all about loving God and loving your neighbor. They are marked by this. They are planted in Jesus and this is the kind of fruit it produces. They serve and care for one another. So I want to ask you this question. In your relationships... Do you embody this? Do you reflect this kind of community? Are you a person that that has some relationships with these different kinds of people? That the barriers aren't barriers anymore because we are one in Jesus? Or if someone were to look at you and say like, hmm, I'm not sure I see this picture of Revelation 7 in you. It's easy. It's easy to go to the person that's like us. It's easy to go with the comfortable relationships. It's easy to go to the people that have common interests. That's easy. But when we're rooted in Christ, he tears down barriers and obstacles. He tears down dividing walls. He doesn't obliterate distinction, but rather allows us to connect with one another and beautiful in deeper ways because we are united in him. So Jesus, he builds a diverse kind of people. Do you reflect that? In the relationships that you share, the people that you connect with, are they just like you? Or do they look like the church? As it's meant to be. That's the challenge that Paul puts before us by even just describing the picture of the church, all these people that are contending for one another, it's a picture of the fruit being rooted in Christ. So bringing this all together, we've seen the three elements. Being rooted in Christ produces three Ps. Did you catch that? <laughs> prayer, proclamation, and a people. Yes, I know, we, we did the alliteration thing. We did it. So prayer, proclamation, and a people. This is what being rooted in Christ does. And why is this the case? And why does Paul talk about these three things? I think it's because it's close to his heart. For loving God, we're praying. For loving other people, we're proclaiming to them the goodness that God has for them. And it is building a people all around us. These are not the only three things. When we're rooted in Christ, we see all kinds of fruit. But these are the three things that Paul highlights in this passage. So how is it going with you? How would you evaluate or rate yourself in these three ways? Do you see fruit? Are you growing in these kinds of things? Paul wants to encourage us to keep going. Keep turning to him. Surrender to the Lord and allow him to do a good work in us to bear fruit. So, We're finishing up Colossians today. We've journeyed through this entire letter, and I'm just going to give you the real quick summary version of all that we've covered of this picture of being rooted in Christ. See, week one, we heard verse 10 in chapter one, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And that feels like a tall order, right? Like, man, live a life worthy. Like, what does that look like? And Paul goes on to explain, here's why this matters, because Jesus, he is above all. He is in all. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is redeemer. He is savior and Lord. He is above every other thing. And so for Paul, that means, and he demonstrated this in his life and what comes next, everything centers on him. Everything should be centered on Jesus. That was true of Paul. And he offers his own life as an example. And so all of that, he builds to this one key idea. Just as you've received Christ, Continue to live in Him. We've received Christ by grace through faith in His power. That's the gospel. We continue to live in that gospel the same way. We rely on Him. He does His transforming work in us. We are being rooted and built up in Him. And we're not to turn away to shadows. That's the rest of chapter two, where Paul talks about, like, you're, you're tempted to go to other things. You're, you're looking to other ideas or, or philosophies. Don't rely on those things. Rely on Jesus. Hold fast to him. Stay focused on him. It's on him. And then he says, so if that's all true, then you want to be thinking on things that are above. Think on things that are related to Jesus. Therefore, you're going to put off the old self. With its old ways, its old patterns, you're going to put off the old way that you were and you're going to put on the new. Characterized by Jesus, fruit of the spirit, love. And that is going to change your relationships, which is where we went last week. Where we hear like the relationships that you share, they're going to look different. And Jake shared the different relationships that are often common to people. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. Like he he and maybe that's not true for us like more like coworker kinds of things maybe there but in our common relationships this is going to change how we are but it ultimately points deeper to our relationship with the lord how he is with us and that leads us then to see that finally being rooted in christ pictures all those things and grows three particular kinds of fruit prayer proclamation And produces a people. Being rooted in Christ. This is a picture of it. We can live a life worthy. Because we are grounded in Christ. And him alone. So church be encouraged. Be challenged. Step deeper into that image. Plant your roots deep within Christ. Because when we are. We'll see this fruit. Being rooted in Christ produces prayer proclamation and the people would you pray with me god thank you that this is true that you are growing us into maturity to being grounded fully and deeply in you god salvation is not simply about just crossing the line of faith and getting to go to heaven that's about becoming different by being rooted in you we will be changed We won't turn aside to other things. We won't depend on other things. We will depend on you. So God, help us. Help us to continually pursue that. Help us to continue to cultivate our relationship with you. May we be planted deep within you. May our roots go down deep in you. And would you stir up in us prayer In proclamation, would we be joining the people that you are building? God, wherever we might have some growth edges here, may we push into them with you. May we pursue you in a deeper way. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. We pledge ourselves afresh to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
0: We stand in a spawn and worship right now. my song to rise to you, when temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, because Jesus, you're my hope and stay, and when I cannot stand, I'll follow
1: Him. It's all about Him. He's the rock. He's the source. He is our Savior and our Lord. Quick reminder, um, we've got that lunch today where you can just learn about what's going on in the life of the church. We'd love to have you stick around so you can just go kind of around the bend over here into our multi-purpose room. And uh, you can do that right away. We'll get started here in a handful of minutes. But uh, we've got some food, so you can jump right into that. We'd love to have you stick around. But church family... Go out with Jesus today, being rooted in him, and he will bear fruit in your lives if you let him. So go with him today in peace and in his love. Amen. Have a great week.